Hello and welcome to Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. I'm John Stillman alongside Joel Johnson, Certified Financial Planner and the CEO of Johnson Vernetti, the official wealth management partner of the Yukon Huskies. You can see him every weekend on Better Money on WFSB Channel 3 on the Saturday and Sunday morning news with Kara Sundlin in Hartford. You can also see him on WCBV Channel 5 in Boston hosting Better Money. Joel, always a pleasure to talk with you. Hey, I saw this in the news recently. Forbes released their list of uh, the top 25 billionaire givers of the last five years, which, of course, that, that's just the people who have given the most money to charity in the last five years. Warren Buffett is at the top. He's given away $14.7 billion in the last five years. Bill and Melinda Gates are number two at $9.9 billion. How far do we have to go down the list before we find you? Probably number 26. A <laughs> ways down. I'm, I'm a little away from the Warren Buffett $14.7 <laughs> billion, I can assure you. Um, but it's interesting, John. You know, we, we're going to talk a little bit in the program today about charitable giving and, and strategies and so on. Um, you know, they have this, this, um, this thing where a bunch of people, a bunch of very wealthy people have gotten together and pledged to give away a significant amount of their net worth. I think it's 50%, maybe even 90% of their net worth. Um, that they don't believe should be passed down to their kids or grandkids, that they want to um, give that to different charities and so on. So there's definitely much more of an awareness. I, I don't want to say there's a new awareness because, you know, when when more people uh, than now went to church or synagogue, you know, it's kind of waned off attendance now. But there, I think there was always awareness of charitable giving through churches and synagogues and religious communities that people were a part of. Um, but from a public standpoint, and certainly uh, exposing younger people, you know, Gen X, baby boomers, and so on, uh, to giving these billionaires have done a great job of raising the bar as far as exposure to charitable giving. And I think it's great. I think it's a great conversation, especially in today's political environment, when you really have one um, party that, uh, not one party, but you have certain individuals that are advocating for the for the takeover um, by the government of, of various functions of society with the argument that, uh, you know, equalizing the wealth and giving to people that are less fortunate. And I'm not advocating for that one way or the other, um, but certainly my dad was involved all his life in working for uh, charitable organizations that basically went into foreign countries where people were extremely poor. And he not only gave money, but devoted his life work to that. So it's very close to my heart. Um, and I think it's great that some of these billionaires like Warren Buffett, Bill and Melinda Gates have pledged to give a significant amount of their fortunes to charity. Well, let's talk about this in the context of your clients. And I'm interested to hear about some of the discussions you have at Johnson Brunetti with people about the topic of generosity and charitable giving and things like that. So, you know, when you think about your clients who you would consider to be generous people, uh, what does that generosity usually look like? How does it manifest itself? To whom or what are they giving money? I think the first thing to understand about this question and, and the answer that's about to come is that it depends on how much money somebody has. And so, you know, when you get into somebody that's just saved enough money to fund their own retirement, there's not a lot of giving that goes on. There's a little bit of a fear factor and um, people saying, are we going to be okay? Do we have enough income to last for the rest of our lives and so on? Then we can talk about, let's say, a second group. And that group of people, they've already figured out through good financial planning that they have enough money to take care of them for the rest of their lives. And some of them are rather charitable. Some of them are not at all. Uh, those that are charitable, 
they tend to be driven by making sure that their kids or grandkids have opportunities in life. They don't always want to set them up, but they want to make sure their kids and grandkids have opportunities. Um, but then for many of them, there is this fundamental drive to make the world a better place through their finances and through giving money. And, you know, they might even set up inheritances for their kids where there's a lot of restrictions on it or for the grandkids. But then we see organizations like cancer or heart causes, churches and synagogues, a lot of direct gifts to religious institutions that they've been a part of, um, veterans causes, a lot of veterans causes and military causes, uh, of course, political causes contributions. Uh, in this day and age, a lot of people are very active politically, and so we see significant political contributions that aren't charitable gifts. They're actually not tax deductible, but people still give away their money um, to affect a cause in life. So it goes all across the board, but if I had to pick one category, two categories that were the most popular, one is giving to the church or the synagogue that people are connected to, and the other is to medical types of causes, leukemia and lymphoma society, uh, the Alzheimer's Foundation, Make-A-Wish even, which is indirectly medical issues and so on. Can you give us an example of somebody you've worked with who is sort of naturally inclined toward generosity? They're a giving person, and part of your job in constructing the financial plan was sort of strategically working that into their overall picture. Well, sure. I mean, I can think of a client right off the top of my head. This goes back a few years, but they were uh, involved in their church. Um, The couple was very successful in business. Um, They were in the construction industry, and they really wanted to set up a family foundation. They wanted to set up a foundation where they gave money into a foundation. Uh, It was not for their kids. Their kids could help um, the way decisions were made to give away that money. And they gave that money away to causes that they feel felt very, very strongly about. Um, one was sending kids on mission trips from their church. Uh, another one was Habitat for Humanity because they were in construction. They felt very strongly about what Habitat for Humanity was doing. But they set up this family foundation where you basically set up, it's almost like a company, family foundation. It's almost like a company where you put money into it, and then the business of that company is to give away that money to various causes. And the company can be run by, or the family foundation can be run by family members, and therefore the whole family can participate in making decisions. It's a really neat thing to see. Um, There's also things called donor-advised funds that people can set up. Um, They can set them up through our investment custodian. So this is very popular where you make a donation into what's called a donor-advised fund. You can actually um, suggest where that money is invested and suggest or advise on where that money is given away. So somebody can make a big charitable contribution this year. Let's say it's $250,000. But all of that money doesn't have to go directly to the charity this year. They could give a portion of it away this year and maybe a portion of it away next year. But they get the tax deduction in the year that they put the money into this donor-advised fund. So all kinds of different ways to do it. We've had both clients do the donor-advised fund and the family foundation. And with the family foundation, I'm telling you, it's really neat to see families work together to figure out how to impact their world. You said for most people who have really saved just enough for their own retirement, and that's basically all. There's usually not a lot of giving happening in those situations because of that fear factor you talked about. But have you ever come across somebody who was inclined to give away too much money and you had to sort of reel them in a bit? Oh, no question. And it's usually giving away too much money to their kids. Um, Big, big problem here with, with some folks is, you know, they have this desire to help out their kids, 
They may look at uh, the situation their kids are in and say, well, you know, jobs aren't what they used to be or companies aren't what they used to be or, you know, our child didn't go to the type of, didn't have the type of college major where they can uh, make a lot of money and so they start supporting their kids, maybe making house payments or mortgage payments or outright gifts, maybe um, paying for their grandkids to go to private schools and so on. And we have had to definitely reel people back because some people just don't realize that the money is going to run out and everybody's living longer. So retirement needs to last, you know, financial planning needs to count on people living well into their 90s. It's not like it used to be. So um, there are many times where we have to reel somebody back into uh, helping out their kids and grandkids too much. By the way, and when that's happening, it never ends. It's never just this one time. Right. Uh, it happens over and over and over again. So it's a, it's a real problem. I can identify with the parents that have this desire to help out, um, but I can definitely see it from the other side. There's a high price to pay. Well, it's a, a boundaries issue, right? There's no uh, recognition of, all right, well, we're going to give you this money uh, with the expectation that you will then do X. It's just, yeah, we'll help you out, and there's no real expectation of them changing their own situation so they don't end up back in that boat again. Yeah, and sometimes the kids aren't even asking for the money. Uh, the parents are just, you know, saying, well, we'll pay your mortgage for you. And so, you know, it cuts both ways here. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So uh, what about this, Joel? So I'm sure you've seen people who have the financial capacity to be generous, but they've never viewed themselves as wealthy. And they think, well, you know, generosity is a thing rich people do. Uh, and so they've never really considered being generous before until they can have a plan in place that actually shows them, yeah, you can you can give some money away. Yeah, and we do see this a lot. Again, people want to make sure, and usually once somebody's our client, they, they have a real good idea. They always have a real good idea because we've done the planning for them of how much money they need to last for the rest of their lives and what rate of return do they need on their portfolio. So they're able to very quickly see, well, I have extra or I don't have extra. So the important thing is that you've got that plan uh, on paper. But there are, especially here in the northeast part of the country where the cost of living is so high, um, there are a lot of people that don't view themselves as wealthy when by many standards, certainly around the world, but even here in the U.S., they are wealthy. And some of this, you know, if somebody's 65 or 70 years old, many times they're not going to completely change their thinking. And that's their business. You know, we don't say it's our business to tell a client what to do. Our job is to give them advice, give them guidance, uh, direct the investments that they have and the money that we manage. Um, so we're going to talk about the things that other clients are doing, um, but we're not going to tell somebody to give money away. That's not that's not our function. I think the key, Joel, is is having that plan in place. I mean, you said with your clients, I mean, they have a pretty good feel for where they stand because everything's sort of been laid out in black and white. But a lot of people just, they don't know. They don't know where they stand. They don't know if they can have a, a steak dinner retirement or a McDonald's drive through retirement. And so often that uncertainty just gives people a lot of angst and lost sleep because they don't have a plan. They don't know where they stand. Well, not only that, but if you haven't saved enough for retirement and you eat McDonald's every day, uh, you're probably going to die sooner than, than eating healthier. So, so maybe, that, you maybe that's a solution. Which, it's not a great solution, but um, but seriously, you know, if you don't know where you stand, if you're wondering, hey, can I give more money to charity, or maybe even I don't care about charity, I just want to make sure that I know that I'm all set. That's why we're here. We'll help you with that. You know, give us a call. Come on in. Let us go through the most basic and fundamental part of a financial plan with you, which is building a income plan, building a retirement income plan that will show how much money you have 
And do you have enough to last for the rest of your life based on your dreams, based on your goals? I mean, we'll tell you, imagine your ideal retirement. What does it look like? And then let's find out if you've saved enough to create that and how you need to invest your money to create that. And it's a lot simpler than you think it is, but it's oh so very important to get that retirement income analysis done. It's nice and simple. We make it simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. It's part of our Money Map Retirement Review. So give us a call. Make sure you get your income analysis. Think of it as a checkup. We want to find out if there's something going on behind the scenes that you can fix early because if there's big, big problems, you usually don't find out until they're too late. So get that financial checkup. Make sure you've got enough income to last for the rest of your life. And if you're well off, if you're really interested in this charitable uh, aspect, then let's do an analysis and find out what you can give, how much you can afford to give, and you can learn from our clients that have gone before you what are the areas and the techniques and tricks of the trade, for lack of a better word, where wealthy people can maximize their financial impact. So call me, 1-800-705-1232. Once again, give me a buzz at 1-800-705-1232. We'll set up a time for you to come in, visit with us, get your money map, get that retirement income plan, and let's discuss how you can benefit charities if, again, you're charitably inclined. 800-705-1232 is the number to call or text, whichever you find more convenient. If you're texting, just include your first and last name. If you're calling, leave a voicemail. We'll reach back out to you during regular business hours and find a time to get you in for your Money Map Retirement Review. 800-705-1232 is the number to call. That's 800-705-1232. You're listening to Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. Joel is a certified financial planner and the CEO of Johnson Brunetti, the official wealth management partner of the Yukon Huskies. Joel, let's talk about some different types of biases, investing biases that people have. You might say, well, I'm an unbiased person. Well, you might be in some walks of life, but I can pretty well guarantee you you have at least one of these investing biases that we'll talk about here. Joel, one of them, and people have probably heard about this in other contexts, would be confirmation bias. What does that look like in the investment realm? Well, confirmation bias, and for those of you that uh, took psychology, and if they talked about this, you'll, you'll probably remember this when I describe it, it's when you pay more attention to information that supports your opinion while ignoring info that does not support your opinion. So it's almost like you've got this radar in your head and you've, you've formed an opinion. You've formed an opinion like, for instance, let's just say, you know, the third year of a presidential term, the market always goes up. All right, so let's say that's your, that's your opinion. Well, that becomes a bias because you begin to look for things that support that. So you might look for things and say, well, gee, 70% of the time, that happens in the third year of a presidential term, the market goes up. 30% of the time, it doesn't. That might have, first of all, that might have nothing at all to do with what's happening in the market. It might just be correlation. And they say there's a, there's a term called correlation, not causation. But the point is, the way you get to that is because you have this bias. You want to confirm, you look to confirm your hypothesis that you already have. It happens in a lot of other areas of life. But in the case of investing, you're putting yourself at risk. You may have an idea that certain stocks do better than others. You're going to look for evidence to confirm that. So the idea is you have this premise, then you go out there and you look for evidence to confirm it. Now, think about this in another realm. Think about what you've heard happens with Facebook. So in Facebook, what happens, and maybe you don't know this, but this, this happens, they keep track of what 
news stories or what interest things that you're clicking on. So let's say you're always clicking on the government wants to take my 401k. Let's just say you're always clicking on that. They will feed you more information to support that premise that the government wants to take over your 401k. And so now you're even more hypersensitive to the fact, and you've got all this confirmation that says the government wants to take over your 401k. By the way, I'm not saying that's the case. I'm trying to describe this bias. So it sort of almost already, it sort of already happens, not almost, but it already happens due to this algorithm in Facebook or other social media type apps. Well, that also happens in your brain. You begin to look for information that confirms your bias, and pretty soon you're so far down the road from an investment standpoint, you can't see the other side of things, which is where people really get hurt in investing when they start to believe their own opinions and support that data, looking around for information that confirms it. Very interesting. It's uh, it's almost like Facebook studied the brain and how it works and designed their algorithms to to take they advantage did. of that. They absolutely did, yeah. and then they and then they, but then they confirmed it with real data. See, that's the key here. You know, the computer doesn't get emotional, so the algorithm confirms with real data what's happening. We as human beings get emotional, which is the biggest impediment to our investing success: our emotions. Very interesting. All right, so that's confirmation bias. When I say loss aversion bias, Joel, that's probably a term people have not heard. Most people have heard of confirmation bias. I don't know that most people have heard of loss aversion bias. So what is that all about? Well, in the investment world, we pay a lot of attention to this. So what this is, is pretend you have a million dollars in your 401k and the market drops 20% and so you lose $200,000, okay? That hurts a lot more than the good feeling. So that bad feeling is much stronger than the good feeling you get if you have a million dollars in your 401k and it goes up by $200,000. You're very excited if it goes up by $200,000, but the emotion of loss is much stronger, much, much stronger than the gain. And so we begin to develop this bias and we call it loss aversion bias, which we begin to be overly sensitive to the risk of loss. And we're reluctant many times to take action. So what happens is, we're scared of loss, but by not taking action to protect our investments because we're also scared of making a mistake, we put ourselves in a more risky situation. By the way, there's a big misnomer out there, which is that wealthy people can afford to lose more money. What we have found in our business is the wealthier someone is, the more they just don't want to lose the money. They will actually just settle for a decent, relatively reasonable rate of return if they don't lose any money. So it's the exact opposite. It's folks that don't have much money that are really chasing that high rate of return. They're almost hoping for the home run to um, to make them financially secure. So loss aversion bias, it's very strong, but also for retirees, it's something that uh, that we need to be sensitive to. There's a friend of mine that has a saying, why keep playing a game that you've already won? If you've already saved enough money for retirement, why stay in the game where you could give a whole bunch of that back? Well said. So that's loss aversion bias. The next thing we'll talk about, and we're talking about different types of investing biases, familiarity bias. What does that have to do with your investments, Joel? Well, when you have a preference for well-known or familiar investments, uh, you have trouble getting out of your comfort zone many times. I'll just use an example. Let's say there's a mutual fund, and it's called Vanguard. And you're familiar with the name Vanguard, so you're much more comfortable investing in one of Vanguard's mutual funds than you are investing in Matthews Asia funds 
Why is that? Well, it's because you haven't heard of Matthews Asia Fund. So you already go into this with a bias of, okay, Vanguard sounds safe. I've heard of that company. They have advertisements. You know, I've read the book about the guy that started it and so on. You're very familiar with that. You are going to have a gravitational pull towards Vanguard versus the Matthews Asia Fund family regardless of performance, right? It's like Matthews Asia has to perform way better than Vanguard for you to be happy because Vanguard sounds familiar. Also, it's very safe to be in the world of familiarity bias. So there are some people out there that never want to be the only person doing something. They take opinion polls at the country club, at their church or synagogue, um, out on the ball field as they're watching their grandkids play ball. And if everybody else is going in a certain direction, because that's familiar to them and other people, they feel a little safer. Many times that's just setting yourself up for failure. So um, the familiarity bias, you got to be real careful. This is also, by the way, why people think that owning their own company stock is a safe bet because they're very familiar with their company and they're very familiar with their company stock. And again, this familiarity bias can really hurt people. It puts blinders on to better opportunities and maybe more safety, and it has this gravitational pull towards things that you have already heard of. All right, so there we have confirmation bias, loss aversion bias, familiarity bias. The last one, Joel, this sounds interesting to me, self-attribution bias. Self-attribution bias. What is that all about? Well, this is, this is a real good one. Um, this is where somebody takes credit when, they're, um, when their investments are doing well, um, but when their investments are doing poorly, they place blame somewhere else. In fact, stockbrokers, I know some stockbrokers that are very good at this. Um, when the market's doing well, they take all the credit in the world. Um, they tell their clients, hey, we did great. We're picking wonderful investments and so on for you. And then the market tanks, and all of a sudden, well, you know, it's the market. Um, you know, it's the coronavirus or it's Russia or it's something going on with Brexit. We have no control over that, Mr. and Mrs. Client. That's just what the market does. So they take credit, whether it's an individual or a stockbroker, when things go well and they push off the blame to some outside force. Got to be real careful about that. In fact, the more successful somebody is, the more I have heard them credit much of their success with just being in the right place at the right time, things that they don't take credit for. So we have to be real careful. Um, you're probably not a genius when the market's going up, and you're probably not a complete idiot when the market is going down. There's always a balance. But watch out for taking the credit when outside forces are working for you and then placing blame somewhere else when it goes against you. So it's been an interesting show today. We've talked about things that are fairly conceptual in nature, charitable giving, the experience I've had with clients who have given away significant amounts of money, maybe setting up family foundations and so on. And then we've talked about these investment biases. And the problem right now is people don't even realize they have biases because things are going so well. This market is going to turn and people are going to get hurt really, really bad because they haven't hedged their portfolio in the recent past. They haven't redone their portfolio in a way that they're protected against the downside. They haven't used some of the new tools and strategies that are available out there so that you don't have to be exposed to all of the market downturn. And at the same time, you can still earn a reasonable rate of return. So I want you to call me. Make sure that we do a checkup on your situation. It's the second opinion. There's no obligation. We don't charge you to do this second opinion. You come in, you have a cup of coffee with us. We'll walk you through an appointment where we get to know you. We find out what your dreams are, how you imagine your retirement, and then we look at your situation and make sure you are doing the best job possible 
or that your advisor is doing the best job possible to make sure that those dreams have the highest probability of coming through. We call it our money map, our money map retirement plan. So it's free. Call me now. Set up a time to come on in. Visit with us. We've got offices all around the area here. Get your own money map. Again, it's absolutely free, but you'll be so happy that you did. Call now to set up a visit. 1-800-705-1232. Again, 1-800-705-1232. You can call if that's easiest for you. Leave a message. We'll call you back and work out a time. Or if texting is the only thing you can do at the moment, by all means, just text your first and last name. We'll reach out to you and find a time for your money map retirement review. When you come in for your visit, you'll get a copy of one of Joel's books to take with you. Again, that number to call or text 800-705-1232. That's 800-705-1232. Fun show today. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk with you next week right here, same time, same place on Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. Money Wisdom is sponsored by Johnson Brunetti. Investment advisory services offered through JB Capital LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance products offered through JN Financial LLC. Johnson Brunetti is a paid sponsor of the Yukon Huskies athletic program. Better Money is sponsored by Johnson Brunetti.